Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here. What a great crowd on a wonderful day to be inside. Amen? Glad that you're here. God has said that it's not going to ice up till I get through preaching. And he said to take uh, however long I want. I, I think that's what he said. I'm not sure. Well, it's good to have you here. Good crowd on a, on a cold day. And I appreciate you coming. I want you to take your Bible. And I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, okay? So uh, let's take our Bibles out or whatever device you use. And we want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Last week, I uh, took a little time to introduce a series, a short series that we're going to be uh, talking about. The idea is here I stand and we're going to be looking at Paul's final words to his young preacher boy. I mentioned to you last week, would you, hey, God, Patrick, would you turn me up just a little bit? I just don't want anybody on the back row to go sleep. There you go. That's what I'm, well, that may be a little loud here in a minute, but they, <laughs> there goes Stu's raise, man. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. We're talking about, where was I? Is it time to eat yet? Uh, yeah, there you go. We're, we're talking about Paul's last words to a young preacher right before he dies. Words that are very important. Fact is, Paul's ready to go. You ever said, I'm ready to go? Paul's ready to go. He's ready to go see his Lord, who just 35 years earlier left this world. And he's trying to help Timothy prepare to be a minister, to be faithful to the gospel, to uh, minister to God's church in a challenging time. I said to you last week that that in just 35 years after the Lord left, error was already creeping in. Heresy was already beginning to be taught. Isn't it amazing that when man, humankind, grabs hold of something, it doesn't take long for man to corrupt what God intends to be good? Paul knew it. He's talking to Timothy about it. I I shared also last week with you that we have to be aware. In fact, I'm going to take a little bit of time this morning kind of reintroducing our, our, our message because we have to be aware of what's going on in our culture because what's going on in our culture is going to have an impact on your life. Gang, the culture is going to impact your family. Daddies, the culture is going to impact your children. Grandparents, the culture is going to impact your grandchildren. And if we're to be smart, if we're to be wise, if we're going to know how to handle this changing culture that's running to corruption, then we've got to know what the times are and we've got to know what the Scriptures teaches us about how to deal with a changing culture. And that's what my series is all about. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to stand in honor of God's Word. It's not a very long chapter. And I know you've stood up a lot, but I'm not about to stand up here and try to preach without standing for God's Word. Amen? Maybe, hey, by the way, if you want to sit down while we're singing, go ahead. I do that, okay? I'm not as young as I used to be. But we can't sit down 
when we read God's Word. Are you with me on that? That's pretty important, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I'll deal with that next week. Holding to a form of godliness. In other words, they may go to church. Although they have denied its power. And Paul tells Timothy, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and take captive weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. I'm going to deal with the word impulses. Maybe my third, two weeks from now. Always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose, notice, the truth. They're men of depraved mind, reject in regard to the faith. But he says there's a limit. They will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all. Can you see in our culture today the folly that's happening? Huh? Just as Janus and Jambres follow, 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 was also. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. What a blessing to Christians, huh? Indeed, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continuing the things you have learned, and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. From a childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Whatever good work it is that God's called you to, the scriptures will give you the foundation of it. Well, let's pray a moment, okay? Father, I feel the, the immensity of today, the importance of today and, and Lord in my spirit this series God I, I know my weaknesses and I know my 
inadequacies very, uh, very clearly. And so God, if anything good comes out of today, then it must be because of your Holy Spirit. He must uh, anoint my mind and my lips, and he must prepare our, our ears and prepare our hearts for the next few moments. Help us, God to connect with what your spirit wants to do in this place today. For your glory alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Let me tell you what our, uh, our goal is today, beloved. Uh, I want you to keep your Bible open. Uh, we're going to, at some point this morning, deal with just verse 1. And I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of time. The time in which we live. What does that mean to us? What is Paul saying to Timothy about these last days and these difficult times? Next week, we're going to begin looking at the trend in which we're living. We'll begin looking at people next week and descriptions of people and the trend toward that we're going, okay? And so my goal today is to kind of help us understand the challenge of what's going on. The Bible challenges us to know the days in which we not just be aware, but to be discerning, understanding of the implications of our culture so that we can make right decisions as we look at the culture and decide what is best for Indian Springs. In, in just a few weeks, uh, Don's going to be calling together. I'll be with him, but Don will be the, the front runner of what we're going to call a long-range planning team. And, and part of the responsibility we're going to give to the team is to take what's happening in our culture today and then look at what's happening in our church today and then make some forecasts on what we think the church should be three years and five years and seven years from now and build into that where we think the culture is going to be in three to five and seven years to now. That's why Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you've got to know the days. You have to be discerning of, of, uh, of the, the values that's going on around you, and you have to make the proper decisions. We're, we're told repeatedly in Scripture, beloved, to know the days in which we live. Let me give you some examples. Romans 13, 11. Paul writes, knowing the time, it is already the hour to awaken from sleep. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're assured that if you died today that you're going to heaven, you can't be lackadaisical in this culture about who you believe and where you're going. You have to awaken from the sleep. You have to have to get your head, gang, out of the sand. You have to know what's going on. That's what Romans 13 talks about. Ephesians 5.16. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. What, what Paul is saying there is, listen, you've got a short period of time here. Uh, for some of you, it may be a year. For others, it may be five years. For some of you, you may have 20, 40 perhaps 60 years, but time is a non-renewable resource. Time is ending. You've got a limited number of time to do only what God wants you to do. Waking up, he says. 
Look at 2 Timothy 4. Look at the next chapter and read with me beginning verse 3. Notice the speed, uh, the flow of what Paul's doing. He said, the time's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, what is sound doctrine? It's when your Sunday school teacher, it's when your pastors stand up here and open the Bible and say to you, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says. This is what the Bible says. Not what Tom says or Don says, but what God says. And Paul says there's going to be a time that they're not going to like this sound Bible doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own notice desires. They're going to run to churches or they're going to run to pastors who tell them not what they need to hear, but what they want to hear so that when they leave, they're going to feel good about themselves. That's what he's saying. And they're going to turn their ears away from the truth. They'll turn aside to myths. And then he says to Timothy, but you, Timothy, be, be sober in all these things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In his first letter, chapter 4, verse 1, here's what he says. In the latter times, some are going to fall away from the faith. Now, we know theologically that means that they pretended to have it. They never had it to begin with, but they're going to pull back. They're going to move in a different direction. Let me, let me even give you an Old Testament illustration. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12, we have a kind of a census being taken. There's, a, there's a, the, the people of God, the tribe of Israel, are beginning to amass themselves around King David. There's about 350,000 of these mighty, they're called mighty warriors or uh, uh, fighters that, that are rallying to David to, so that he can lead the nation forward. And they're, they're listed by tribes. For example, Judah has 6,800 of these fighting men. Simeon has 7,100. Well, when we get to verse 32, there's a tribe that only has 200 guys. Out of all the 350,000 that amassed themselves to King David, here's a little bitty old tribe of just 200 fighting men. But listen how the Bible describes them. Men who understood the times. Hmm. Men with knowledge of what Israel should do. Again, what that tell, and other scriptures tell us is, we don't have to be in the majority. In fact, I want to tell you, God's people would never will be in the majority, okay? For Indian Springs, but we don't have to be the biggest church here. We don't have to do that. But it is incumbent upon the, the, the leadership of Indian Springs Baptist Church and the people of Indian Springs Baptist Church that we be people who understand the times, hence our series that we have knowledge of what Israel, what our nation, what the people of God should do. I don't know if, uh, if you go to Sunday school or not. I, I, I want to make a plug for it. I think uh, you ought to give consideration to Sunday school if you're not, okay? We have some wonderful teachers. 
uh, men and women of God who have a heart to be a shepherd for a small group. We just started today, as a matter of fact, we started today in Sunday school a study of the book of Proverbs. In fact, we learned today that knowledge means nothing without wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Facts without understanding is a big zero. You see, when you know facts and you blend understanding to the facts and then you build in application to lifestyle, it's then Proverbs tells us that we have wisdom. And oh, dear church, people of God, listen to me. In our culture today, we who claim Jesus Christ, we need wisdom. We need wisdom to function in a culture that is running at breakneck speed toward corruption. Let me give you one more illustration, then we'll get to verse 1, okay? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is arguing with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. When you read the New Testament, when you read the life of Jesus, I, I don't think Jesus liked religion very much. Can you get an get a amen? I don't think he was into religion because I don't think he liked those guys, you know? And in this chapter in Matthew, he's kind of debating and arguing and discussing them. And, and, and here's what he says to them. He said, you know, it's interesting. I'm reading in This is Tom's interpretation. Isn't this interesting? You can read the sky, but you can't discern the times. My dad was a sailor. I grew up with red at night, sailor's delight. Red in the morning, sailor what? How many of you know that? Hey, that's cool. Say, red at night, sailor's delight. Red in the morning, sailor take warning. What Jesus is saying to those guys, you can discern the appearance of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the time. He said you ought to be weathermen, not religious leaders, you see. Well, our subject, our, our, our challenge this morning is chapter 1. And let's read that again. But realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. And so the question I had for you today is, what time is it, church? What time is it? And we better not get this wrong. We better answer this right. Or we're going to have issues in our church. And you're going to have issues in your family. Okay? I want you to notice in verse 1, he begins with the contrast. He begins with the word, but. Okay? It's a contrast. It's a contrast to what he just wrote previously. And what he said previously was, uh, Timothy, you're to be a vessel of honor. You're to be sanctified or set apart, useful for the master. Timothy, you're to be a man of God regardless of the weather. You're to be a man of integrity regardless of the winds of a corrupt doctrine. But Timothy, you've got to know this, that in the last days, it's going to get tough. The word realize that he uses, there's one of the words for know. And it's a word with, that, that carries with it understanding. So in a sense, what he's saying, Timothy, you better get your head around these times. You better understand what it takes for a minister to live. I would say, Sunday school teachers, you, you better get your head around this. I would say, Daddy... And mother, 
You better get your head around this. I would say to you young people, hey, kids, you better get your head around this. And then notice he, he has two phrases there. Two things, last days, difficult times. That's what I want to deal with for a few moments, okay? Last days. Well, what does it mean? We've got a couple options. First, it, it could mean that these last days began when Jesus first came. He was born in, as a, from a virgin in a manger, and he, he lived a sinless, perfect life, fulfilling the law at all points, and then was crucified, and he went to heaven, and he's preparing to come back. Now, most would say that when we're talking about the last days, we're talking about that period of time from Jesus' birth till Jesus' return. I, I agree with that, okay? I, I believe it's, it's, his, it's the day, we call it the, the church age, where the working of the Spirit works through the body of Christ, and those body of Christ people are the believers in Jesus that makes up the church, not the brick and mortar, but the hearts of you people, okay? And so most would say the last days are, are that, is that period of time. Some say, well, it refers to that moment right before Jesus returns for his people. They argue that, people who think they ought to go get a job and dig a ditch, but they sit around arguing to write about those kinds of things. Okay? Let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what me thinks. I think Paul's referring to both of them. Okay? I think he is talking about the time, and I think he's talking about the moment. The word times that he uses is an interesting word. We have two words in the New Testament for time. Okay? One of the words is the word chronos. We get chronology from it. It's a word that refers to the ticking of a clock or the marking of a calendar. Okay? Uh, chronos, chronology. It's, I'll tell you what that is. That is when it gets about 10 minutes to 12, and you look at your watch and your stomach starts grumbling, and you're wondering if Don is ever going to quit preaching because you're getting hungry. I mean, I know you don't do that with me, so it has to be Don, right? Well, that's chronology, okay? But listen, that's not the word that he uses here. There's another word for time called keros or keros, however you want to pronounce it. And it means a, not a, a space of time, but a season of time. It's something that's marked by boundaries. We might call that an epic or a period of time. It has a beginning and it has an end. One said it's a period of time that is set very clearly. That's the word that he's using. So here's what I think Paul is saying. There's a period of time that began that is marching toward the end. Now, we don't know when that end is. But based upon this particular word that he uses, and based upon the flow of this chapter and the next chapter and other writers of Scripture, the idea is it's moving. There's a fluidity to it. It's moving toward an end. And Timothy, you better know it, and you better be ready for it. And I would say to you, dear people, you better know it, and you better be ready for it. Now, let me ask you a question. Based upon what you see today, based upon what you hear about today, what season, or where in the season is a better way, 
Where in this season do you think we are? If it began when Jesus first came, and it's going to end when he comes back, where do you think we are? Would you say we're in the first quarter? How many of you believe we're in the first quarter? Halftime. How many of you think we're halftime? How many of you think we're three quarters? How many of you think we're in the fourth quarter? How many of you don't have a clue? My grandson and I, I hung out with my oldest grandson. He's a history guy. I, never, I, don't, he, I don't know where he got his brains. He can get it from me. But we were talking, and he was telling me, he said, Paul T., he said, isn't it amazing of the breakout of all this conflict in the world, people rebelling against their government? Why do you think that is? And I said, well, according, let me tell you what I think first of all is, people don't like tyranny. There's something in the heart of man that likes freedom. And I think that when they, get, when they get, get pushed and pushed and squeezed and squeezed, at some point they say, enough. And, and I think that's part of it. But I said, Corden, I actually think, and I don't know, Corden, I don't know these dates. God alone knows the date, right? When Jesus was on earth, he said, I don't even know it now. Of course, he's God. And when he left heaven, all, that's theological. It's all worked out for him. Here's what I think. I told him, I said, Corden, we're getting close. Now, does that mean it's going to happen in my lifetime? I don't know. Is it going to happen in some of you middle-lifers? I don't know. But it would not surprise me if it didn't happen in my life or your life, or certainly the kids' life. I think we ought to be aware of it, and I think we need to pattern our life after it, live like it. That's what we read in Scripture. He's standing right at the door. They lived their life. They, I want to tell you, I believe the apostles actually thought that Jesus would come and get them before they died. That's been, what, how many years? 2,000 years ago? That's how we should live, too. And let me tell you something interesting. In this whole chapter, there's nothing in here about future tense that I can find. It's all present tense. Listen, Paul is not talking about something that's going to happen tomorrow. He's not talking about the future. He's talking about it in the present. He's saying now. So when we talk about the last days, what I want you to know this morning is we're there. We're in it. And I'll summarize that a little bit later. All right, the second phrase, real quickly, difficult times. How many of your Bible has the word difficult in it? Mark through it. I, I preach New American Standard. I believe it's the best translation. That's a terrible translation. It's not the word difficult. Better would be savage. Savage times will come. Fierce times will come. It's one of the words for dangerous or furious. It's actually, when you trace the word back, there's a root word to it, and it means lower. We're living in lower times. We're living in base times. Actually, this word difficult is only found two times in Scripture. It's found here, but it's also found in Matthew 8, 28, when, when uh, the Bible and Matthew's talking about the Gadarene demoniacs. You remember about those two uh, demon-possessed men? Here's what the Bible says. They were exceedingly fierce. They were violent. Now, that's the word that Paul uses to describe the times we're living in. Times of increasing frequency, 
of rebellion against God. Plutarch, who was a, a Greek philosopher of that day, said they use that word to describe in classical Greek, use that term to describe of an ugly, deep wound. Other writers of Scripture carry this idea. Peter says, know this, that in the last days, mockers will arise following after their own lust. Are we being mocked today by different channels on TV? Are we being mocked today by different newsmen? Are we being made fun of and ridiculed and mocked today from Hollywood? Sure. Jude, the Lord's half-brother, said, creepers will creep in unnoticed. Now, he's talking about the church, by the way. Creepers are going to creep, if you allow me, into the church unnoticed. They're ungodly. They turn the grace of God into a license for liberality and sensuality. Isn't that interesting? They turn God's grace into a license to do whatever they want to do. Their desires, I'll talk about that in just a moment. They deny their only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what we've done in verse 1 today. We've established a time period the last day when Jesus began until Jesus comes, times of savageness, blatant and growing opposition to that which is godly. And we read that from God's Word. Again, the question is, are we moving into the last days? And I'm saying to you, no, we're not moving into the last days. We are in the last days, you see. And out of verse 1, that's what you need to come away with. We're there, and it's tough. And the call of God upon believers is that you stand in love, but in truth. Don't tickle the ears, but speak the truth in love, because that's the last days we're in. Now I want to begin wrapping it up, because last week I, I tried to, I feel like I failed last week, church. I felt like I didn't really communicate to you last week the way I should, so I'm going to take another stab at it. If you go out and say, well, he didn't do it again, just say I'm consistent, okay? I said to you last week that when it boils down, it boils down to a question of authority. Didn't I say that? Is God really the authority? Is God's word really the authority upon which we live and we determine our life? You see, I want to submit something to you. That only God's word is the foundation, the source upon which you must make your decisions and build your life. It's truth or nothing. But the truth must be objective truth. It must be external truth. It must be truth from the Bible, not subjective truth, which is almost uh, not even a good statement because subjectiveness tends to run to error, you see. Let me, uh, I'm going to close this with a silly illustration, okay? The battle for truth, for authority, is always raised between that which is objective, external, and that which is internal, which is subjective, okay? And you've got to know that. You've got to decide which basis of truth you're going to live and pattern your life after, objectively God's Word or internally your feelings, your desires, and those kind of things. So let me use this silly illustration, okay? Uh, uh, David, brother, I'll pick on you. I don't know if I can outrun you. I'm sure I'm not going to fight you but you're right in front of me, okay? So, say David and I are talking at church here, okay? And David says to me, you know, Tom, I think I'm going to walk across the highway to Walmart and get a Coke. 
Now, I'm going to say, whoa, 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 David. You can't do that. You walk across there, and you're going to get hit by trucks. You can't do In fact, David, this is where your imagination comes in. There's a sign out there that says, thou shalt not walk across the interstate or you'll get smashed. And, and so I say, David, David, wait a minute. David, you can't do that. You can't go across the interstate. And David says this, well, Tom, I want to. Or he says, Tom, I desire to. I feel I should. Or maybe he'll even say, Tom, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that if I walk across the interstate to get a Coke, I do not believe that any truck is going to hit me. Now, if you were in on the conversation, what would you say? Would you, you say, well, he feels like it, or he wants to, or he really has the belief that it's not going to... You wouldn't say that, would you? Here's what I'd say. David? I would say it in love, of course. David, you a dummy. No, I didn't say that. I'd say, David, 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 wait. I don't care what you think, David. I don't care what you feel, David. I don't care what you desire. David, I don't care what your emotions tell you. I, David, I don't even care what you really believe. Because how you feel and what you believe and what your emotions and your desires tell you has nothing to do with truth. That's all subjective. That's all internal, and the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Nobody can know it. You know what that means in the Old Testament? It means Yaakov heart, Jacob heart. Do you remember the story of Jacob in the Old Testament? Do you? A deceiver, supplanter, manipulator, until he met God and God changed his life. What, what the Bible says, and what I would tell David is, David, your heart is a false guide. Your heart's dr driven by feelings. Your heart is driven by desires. Your heart is driven by emotion. But none of that matters when it comes to truth. Truth is not dependent upon your heart. Truth is dependent upon something external, something objective. Truth depends upon God and His Word. And oh dear people, listen to me. We got people all over our nation today. We have people inside the church on any given side. There may be some people here right now that when they think about what they should do in life, they're saying things, I feel like it is okay to fill in the blank. God wants me to be... I am so sick of hearing that. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times over the... God is love. And God wants me to be happy. And so I'm going to... And then you fill in the blank. And I want to tell you, what I learned was, God wants me to be holy. And I learned that when I'm holy, I'm happy. But if I'm unholy, guess what? I'm not happy. And yet we've got scores of people in our churches today saying, God wants me to be happy, so I'm going to, and it could be 
homosexuality, it could be abortion, it could be whatever. Where do you get that? Because you don't get that from Scripture. Or perhaps there are those who say, I just want to, my heart desires me to. And I just lovingly say to you, that's subjectiveness. And that's wrong. And you'll never understand truth that way. Objective truth, God's external objective truth of the Word, beloved, is the only basis upon which you and I, in this culture especially, you and I can make the right decision. And by the way, it's what we'll be judged upon ultimately. Are you ready for that? Huh? Let me close. Look at chapter 2 for a moment. And I want us to read verses 24 through 26. And, and let me just kind of, maybe you'll get a sense of Paul leading into chapter 3. He says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Now let me stop for a minute. That's important. See, I don't like abortionists, but I'm not going to blow up their buildings. And I'm not going to shoot abortion doctors. That's anti-God, right? I'm going to stand in, 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 in the pulpit in my classes, and I'm going, to, I'm going to try to help people understand that homosexuality is based upon feeling and emotion and desire, has nothing to do with God's Word, and it is wrong. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to take my bow and arrow and shoot at them. I'd miss anyway. I'm not going to take a gun and shoot at them. I'm not going to just pounce on them and slap them upside down. What kind of godliness is that? You teach and preach the truth in love. That's what the Bible says. They need to hear truth, but they don't need to see it from that hatred. What is that, Wedgwood group? What is that, Wentwood? What? Who are those guys? They're weird. You know? That's not what, that's not what needs to happen. You know? I don't think you can understand the love of God until you understand you've broken His law and understand what that means, okay? But that doesn't mean you have to be mean-spirited. It means you be truthful. I don't think Jesus was mean. I mean, he kind of got ticked off at the Pharisees and Sadducees, but that's a religion group, okay? Where was I? Verse 20, um, oh, verse 25. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps, now notice, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. Tommy, you tell me repentance is a gift? I'm not saying that. God did. Isn't that interesting? And this repentance leads to the knowledge of what? Truth. Truth. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare from the... No one comes to their senses through emotion, although there may be some of it involved. No one gets right with God based upon desire or feeling or passion, none of it's based upon God's Holy Spirit working upon their head and their heart toward truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having be, been held captive by him to do whose will? The devil's will. What does the devil want out of your life? To do his will. What is his will? Is to destroy, to kill, steal, and destroy. Do you understand, dear people, God, God is trying to make you aware of the fact that your enemy wants to kill you and everything that is precious to you. 
That's why he says you've got to accept and believe and follow my objective truth, not your internal subjective idea of truth. You see, the fact of the matter is, in these last days, only truth, only truth wins. That's it, okay? That was verse 1. That's a lot, wasn't it? Next week, we're going to look at some more of the chapters, and uh, we're going to look at the trends. And there's like 18, so don't freak out. Um, we're going to summarize all 18 of them in three statements. And I think I would suggest to you uh, that it would be worth your time to come, perhaps. And then we'll close out the series after that, okay? Well, this is the point where we pray. And Stu comes, and we give you an opportunity to square up with God, okay? Our pastors will be here if you need us to help you. You can pray right there. Uh, if you need our help to come, if you'd like to join, we'd love to have you. If you've never followed the Lord in Believer's Baptism, we're doing that next week, I believe, and we'd love to have you come do that. And so we're going to pray, and then we'll stand, Stu will leave. Father, I, I love you. Um, your calling upon pastors is not really an easy call in a lot of respects, but it's the right call, and that is to speak the truth in a way, hopefully, that people will be challenged and hear it and accept it and throw away their emotions and their feelings. That's what we tried to do today, Father, and I hope, Holy Spirit, we did that. And if we didn't, it's not your fault, it's mine. God, I want to lift up the people I love here. Uh, many, perhaps, are searching. Some are hurting. Some are wrestling with issues of truth. God, may they understand. It's got to be your word. It can't be their heart. It can't be what other people say. It has to be the inerrant, infallible word of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together. Stu, why don't you lead us?